morning, everyone. Welcome to day 20 of the 7am Novelist March March Writing Challenge. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today we hear from authors David Abrams and Alan Makari about their author's journeys and their advice to others as well as to themselves. All you have to do is not give up. Good morning, you two. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for being on the show. Alain Makari's debut novel, Zinsky the Obscure, earned acclaim from Publishers Weekly, Kirkus, and Booklist. His stories and poems have been widely published, appearing in McSweeney's, Salamander, Solstice, Hobart, Juked, J Journal, North Dakota Quarterly, and many more. His work has been nominated for multiple Pushkop prizes, as well as the Derringer Award. And he is the recipient of a Literature Artist Fellowship grant from the Somerville Arts Council. David Abrams is the author of two novels about the Iraq War, Brave Deeds and Fobbit, a comedy Publishers Weekly called, quote, an instant classic. It was also a New York Times notable book, an Indie Next Pick, a Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writer selection, and a finalist for the LA Times Art Cytobomb Award for First Fiction. Abrams' short stories have been nominated for Pushcart Prizes and appeared in anthologies, Montana Noir, Watchlist, and Fire and Forget. He lives in Elena. Uh, I pronounced it in the French name, didn't I, uh, David? Elena. Helena, I think they pronounced Elena. it in, in Montana with his wife and their many cats. And if actually, if you go on facebook david you do you do this on your author's page and your regular page on facebook share all the it's on my it's on my regular page yes there are a lot of kittens on my regular i highly recommend because it's just a kitten fest and if you're (laughs) in a sour mood you will get very happy all right both of these guys are going to talk to us about just keeping going and not giving up we're going to start with alan alan how have you had to face this idea of don't get up don't get up. Don't get up in the morning. Don't give up. Yes. <laughs> give up. Get up so that you get don't up give too. up. Yes. I think, you know, my my first book took um really 10 years to reach the finish line. If you go from the point where I wrote the first line by pen on a legal pad in a Starbucks in Cambridge. You all know it, the one between Harvard and Porter um, on Shepherd Street. And and when it came out 10 years later, and I just think um, that's a that's a period of endurance. And especially for your first for your first book, you know, now, even though it's taken me a long time to finish my second one, I've at least done the first one. So when I'm telling, you know, friends, family, acquaintances, coworkers, the people I imagine to be my skeptics and doubters um, that I'm still working on. And I, I have the credibility of the first one and all, you know, published stories and poems and things that sort of label, label me as, as a serious artist. But before you have that first one and you don't even have a lot of that stuff to your name, you know, people come at you with, oh yeah, I sometimes write in cafes and you're like, you're not me, you're not me. (laughs) And, um, it's, it gets very, you know, you feel like, boy, maybe I am just a fraud. What am I trying to do? And, I think just going through that process once and realizing what makes a book the best thing it can be is continuing and persevering, even when you look at it many years in and you say to yourself, this whole thing is a mess. Like I still have a lot of work to do and I've been toiling on it day after day after day. So it's really just been a matter of going through the process once and understanding that whatever 
you know, sloppy food metaphor, you want to use spaghetti on the wall, breaking the breaking eggs to make an omelet. It, it pertains to this process and you, you simply have to keep at it and remain optimistic. Yes. And it doesn't even matter if you've already had a book published. I mean, the book I'm working on now, I think it, I think it actually might literally kill me. I think I've, <laughs> I've replotted this damn thing so many times. Um, and I should be able to do this by now. You know, I've written, I've published two books. I got another bunch of books in the drawer. Um, but every book has its own problems and its own. You have to go back to the starting line and, and, and face those broken eggs again. Uh, David, how about you? Oh, yeah. I, I think uh, just, just like Alon said, you know, every book is new. Every book presents a new challenge. Um, but I, I when I think back over the arc of my career, my writing career, if you will, um, it, it's funny when I was, uh, 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 I, I posted a, a photo of myself yesterday on, on Facebook to, to kind of promote the today's today's recording. And uh, it was a picture of me holding the first check that I ever received for getting paid for my writing. Um, and I was what, like 20, how old was I in that picture? Maybe 21 or 22 years old or so. Um, so uh, that that was really kind of the start of my professional writing career, if you will, when I got paid. And I got paid, what, maybe 30, 40 bucks uh, for a short story. Uh, and to me, that was a fortune at the time. Um, but anyways, I, I really started writing in earnest, uh, like when I was 19. And my first book, my first novel, Fobbit, uh, was published when I was 49. So there's that 30 year, you know, what did I do? How did I how did I maintain that faith in myself over those 30 years? And it's it's a struggle. It is a daily hourly struggle to to keep believing in yourself and, and believing in your work as well. But um, yeah, I think we all go we all we all have those challenges, whether they're external forces, you know, uh, that we're looking looking for validation from others, um, or just struggling um, inside ourselves to 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 find the words and just keep going every day. But but you have to find you have to find something um, that keeps you going, what whatever that is. I mean, I I can't remember what book it was, but it, it kind of separated artists into people that that uh, the prodigies that publish early or become famous quite early for their artistic work. And then they tend to devolve <laughs> as they age and they aren't able to produce as much or they aren't able. And then you have the latecomers that will um, produce, be at their best and produce their first works even later. And they might have worked for a while. Um, and in the course of a life, I'd much rather be a latecomer because then your life is trending upwards instead of trending towards failure. I mean, and I also know, David, I have a friend, he published very well in his 20s. One of his books was actually made into a film. And then he just lost faith in it entirely and is no longer writing at all. Um, I mean, do you wish when you were, do you wish that you'd actually gotten that book out at 20? Or do you think that that would have been a problem? Because it might have taken you a while to actually find the story that you really needed to tell. Oh, exactly. Well, if you had asked my 20-year-old self, I would right. have said, you know, I need to publish yeah. now. You yeah. know, it's, it's kind of like a cheerleader whipping up the crowd. What do we want? Fame. 
What do we? When do we want it? Now. We're all like that. We need fame now. Um, but you know, and and that was my twenty-year-old self, that very immature person, not just an immature writer, but a very immature person. Um, and somebody, uh, I think it was Dorian in the in the chat said, "Ha, huh, what did I know at nineteen? You know, of course I needed those thirty years. Um, and in the case of my first novel, of course I had to wait thirty years because my first novel was about um, is very lightly an autobiographical novel about me going to war. So yeah. I needed to I needed to go through life to get to that point where the book finally found me. The book was waiting for me out there in the future, right? My nineteen twenty year old self didn't know that." had no clue he was going to even join the army, you know, and have a 20 year career in the army and then eventually go to war. But um, yeah, that book was out there waiting for me. And it was just sitting there looking at its watch, tapping its feet, waiting for me to come to that maturity and that growth as a person and as a writer. Um, but in those 30 years, of course, I, I, uh, you know, when I, when I started back at 19 and 20, I was writing short stories um, many failed novels, of course, that didn't even get past probably the third chapter sometimes. Um, poems. I wrote a lot of poems, poetry back then, still do. Um, and of course, uh, as many of us, uh, when we're first starting out, we're just getting, I was just getting paid in contributors' copies, um, which were a boost, but not to my not to my bank account. <laughs> but um, yeah, I so I I definitely needed to wait. I needed to let my my talent ferment i guess and and you know come to fruition yeah and i normally i've said this before on the on the podcast but normally it takes about tw 10 years to really kind of get successful or really begin to get successful 10 years of working 10 years of writing of learning the craft um and then uh but sometimes i'm working with much older writers and so that's harder it's a harder thing to say to someone who is 77 years old yeah it's going to take you 10 years because yeah. so so but but i think older writers have that past experience and of pushing through that they it'd probably be faster for them um alon so what um what kept you at that desk what kept you doing it so many things i think especially for my first book you know it was like david was saying a minute ago where you have to admit that especially for your younger self so much of it is is ego and vanity and 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 saying i can't you know and and some of it is some of it is that and some of it is just the lessons you've already learned at a young age about about not giving up and not thinking of yourself as a quitter. But in terms of the book itself, I think even when you realize a draft is far from ready, there are always glimmers. Sometimes it's a sentence you absolutely adore. Sometimes it's a character you fall in love with, and it might even be a minor character. I find especially uh, in, in my <clears throat> novels, it's the characters who when I first conceived of the book, I had no idea they were even going to be a part of it. And, you know, they start out incidental or just somebody that a character that you're that, you know, whose journey you're on meets along the way. And then they sort of grow in the process of drafting the story. I find those are the characters I really fall in love with. And um, sometimes really, it's just wanting to make sure that those beautiful sentences, those beautiful characters come into the existence and can be shared with the world and so you can do right by them you know in my in my you know david and i were corresponding prior to today and i uh and you know and i said you know kind of like these are these glimmers of 
of hope are like subway straps that you that you cling to for the for the duration of the rocky ride and i i think you just sort of look in your text into what you've created and that what you really want to make sure comes to life and that the world can see and you on, on days when you're feeling skeptical about the entire process you think about those and you think no 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 i have to make sure that these these fragments come to life i, like I really like that about yeah, go, go ahead, ahead go ahead I was going to say, I really like, I like the focus on going back to your own work, because really, that's the only tangible thing that we have, we can sit here and think all day long, oh, I want to be like this, I'm not, a, I'm not at this, you know, stage of my writing career, like I should be in air quotes, you know, and you look ahead to other authors, how can I get there? Um, but that's just all in your head. That's just sitting there, you know, thinking in your head, but the only, the only tangible thing that you have um, is, is is actual words that you produce you know and then like i said or like like alan said um you you find those those beautiful things that come out of your your inner imagination onto the page and um and that's and often that is what you know gives us faith and um you know keeps us keeps us going um uh, because we believe in our characters if if we really love our characters and or our stories so much that we feel like it has to come out and because that's all we are as writers We're, we've got a story and we've or and or we've got characters or both that we feel need to come out into the world um and you know we we don't want to disappoint our characters <laughs> we want right, to keep them right, because they feel gifted to us in some way mm -hmm. um, I mean you could say writing well I think a lot of writing is about vanity and a lot of you know that's why I think I I, I teach a lot because I want to try to get out <laughs> of it sometimes but 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 it's also you could say well this came to me or this was a gift to me and I want to be able to continue with this in some way um, and uh, and going back to what was that initial spark what was the initial thing that excited you that initial go back to the page where you think it was really really working um to kind of get life back into it again um and so that because there's so many times when you sit at the desk where you're just like oh this is gross this is disgusting this doesn't work um and and so you have to find that that spark again um so we have a question from amy um alon um and so this is kind of similar to what we talk about. How do you keep the novel or writing project you're currently working on alive within you every day throughout the day, especially when you have a day job that is not fiction writing? So, so yeah, how to balance that day job? Because both of you, yeah, you're both both mm -hmm. working. Um, how do you find that balance? Oh, I have a couple. I have one very practical tip, which is um, keep a notebook near you at all times. <laughs> So that when the ideas seize you, and sometimes the best ideas will seize you expressly when you are not thinking about your book. Um, you know, the classic, uh, I get the best ideas in the shower because you're you're doing this really simple chore that has nothing to do with writing. Just keep that book handy so that you can scribble them down. And then when you have your next writing session, whether that's early the next morning or later that night, you have it right there. And also so that you can get it out of your head, make sure that you've recorded it and go about doing your day job or whatever the thing that is taking you away. And then I think my, my second answer to, to Amy's question is um, it's not the end of the world. If your day job does take you away from it a little bit, because sometimes those breaks are important. Psychologically, you can come back to your text with fresh eyes the next day. And I think the other thing is 
we all learn so much from the things that we do outside of writing. And part of what gives you the subject matter expertise that makes you a better storyteller is from your day job or from the things you do that are not working on your book. So sometimes it's okay to let it go. It's not the end of the world. If you get a great idea and you fail to write it down, it will nine out of 10 times come back to you. And if it doesn't, it's, it's, it's just fine. It's okay to let the book is or the story escape your head for hours at a time or even days at a time, because during those breaks, some other wonderful things occur that will, that will sort of make you a better writer also. But Elon, you actually keep a very specific schedule. I mean, you get up quite early in the morning before your work, before it kind of, before your job enters into that dream space of your work. Um, yeah. Instead of trying to fit it in after. I mean, do you find that more helpful to you to getting up and doing it beforehand instead of trying to do it at home, you know, when you, yeah. when you and after? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. I just think that early morning time, there are fewer demands placed on you. And that's when I find I can usually get a lot of, you know, actual writing done or do the intense research that is required to make a scene credible. Because sometimes, you know, I find the best way to do that is to really just have a concentrated window where you're just reading extensively about the particular era or the or the specifics that are, you know, to sort of plumb those history books for the specifics that you need, the ones that only come out in stories and not in histories. And um I think having those long periods of time just to work on the book are important. Um, but I think I think then when the workday begins, you you say, okay, I have to I have to let this stuff go. But of course, I know I'm going to return to it the next day, and that's when uh, when the ideas take hold of you, you can just write them down. And uh, I have I have a you know a separate notebook that is strictly for. Any loose, any loose or wayward ideas related to my book that come into my head during the day, and I keep it near me at all times, and that's yeah. that's sort of how I, I handle it. I mean, this is how I think of. I oftentimes will repeat to my students the um, idea from Goethe: "Do not hurry, do not rest." And so my students are probably rolling with their eyes. Um, but I mean, that doesn't mean that you're not sleeping. It doesn't mean that you're, right. you know. But it, what it means is that you're not pushing too hard because I think we're like, "Oh, I've got to get this book published by the time I turn thirty, or by the time I turn forty, or by the time I turn whatever pressures you're putting on yourself." Um, so that hurrying and and those sorts of internal deadlines won't necessarily make the book any better. <laughs> it won't necessarily get you there. But do not rest as in, it is always kind of with you a little bit, existing in, in the back of your mind so that ideas can pop up out of nowhere. And so even as you're, you know, making the kids sandwiches in the morning or um, taking that shower or getting uh you know waking up at night at 3 a.m um that sort of thing david how about you like how does your how do you negotiate the day job and you also have kids um how do you negotiate those pulls on your time right well of course i'm 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 older now and i'm sort of an empty nest i am an empty nester now but there was a time when when i was first starting up and even writing um some of the earlier short stories and and poetry yeah i worked a full actually i worked several jobs at once i was both in the army um i also delivered pizzas for Domino's, um and did all sorts of other external uh jobs just to keep the family going um so you need that you all of us all of us writers face 
some sort of pressure and most almost universally it's a financial pressure um you know and we have to balance that so the day the the day job is dreaded but it's necessary of course um but i'm i'm a lot like alon i i get up early um and you just have to, you have to fence off that time for the actual work um put up a no trespass put up a fence and put up a no trespassing sign and find your place whether that's before work um or on your lunch break sometimes um or in the evening uh I'm a, I'm a morning writer but a lot of people write in the middle of the night of course yeah. um, and, we're, and we're all different we all have different circumstances but um when it all comes down to it we do face, face that 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 push and pull of find, finding the time I used to say I can't find the time I can't find the time look people we've all got 20 we all have the same lives we have 24 nobody has 24 hours and 30 minutes in their lives for their day you know we all have 24 hours and it's what we do with those 24 hours so you have to make the time you can't you don't find the time you make the time um and whether that's half an hour whether that's three hours whatever um right I'm I, I should mention um, I'm from Montana but right now I'm visiting um my son in Savannah and in Savannah Georgia and of course that is the home of Flannery O'Connor so I gotta I gotta put in at least one Flannery yes. O'Connor quote here if you don't mind if you'll all indulge yes. me so um this is what Flannery O'Connor had to say about um finding and making the time she goes um this is this is about mid-career mid she uh Flannery O'Connor said every morning between nine and 12 I go to my room and sit before a piece of paper many times I just sit for three hours with no ideas coming to me but I know one thing if an idea does come between nine and 12 I'm there ready for it yeah yeah and this and you could say well gee I wish I had the hours between nine and 12 every day to, to do this but Flannery O'Connor was also existing in a great deal of pain and she was oftentimes ill um, but she would still show up at, at the desk and and wait for those ideas to to happen um, and I I do hear younger I sometimes talk to younger people who want to write or who want to be artists and the um the practical Iowa farmer in me says, well, be ready to work 60 hours a week because you're going to have your job that pays the bills and then you'll have your writing. And it really is two jobs. You have two jobs because you have to do the one to do the other. It's a lot of work time. Um, it's a lot of work time. And so you do have to carve that out and um even announce it to the people in your life like this is this is what I'm doing this is important to me and it's gonna it's gonna affect your relationships mm -hmm. um it's going to affect who you know I mean Elon have you dealt with that too so yeah. like, I mean you have to train your if the train friends partners relatives to understand that you know, from like, you know, for example, if you're in a Monday through Friday working situation that your weekends are not going to, it's not going to be as easy for you to just go to brunch on Saturday morning, because Saturday morning is when you need a long block of time just to sort of really sit there and do your thing. And um, I mean, it really, it, it, it doesn't stop. Um, I think, I think I can say this because I, I, uh, you know, family love you but I don't think any of you are going to listen um <laughs> but, but like you know there's a there's an upcoming trip that that many people in my family would love for me to make and I just I'm like guys sorry yeah. not gonna happen like I can't just 
up on a plane and lose a week. Even if you think that week is a week worth losing because it's Christmas vacation week. Like for me, that's when the hay is made and I can't do it. And they're all going to be upset. I'm anticipating getting an earful this Passover about it, but you have to be ready to take those earfuls. It's, it's kind of similar, you know, Michelle and David to how, you know, if anything you write even verges on autobiographical, the people in your life are going to be, are, you know, some people will think that it's them and they'll, they'll interpret it at, you know, one way or another. Uh, and why did you write about this? And you just have to be ready to handle all that stuff. And that's just part of the decision-making process of saying, this is what I'm doing. It's in my soul. Tough cookies, all of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think, I think forcing yourself to revisit, why am I doing this? Is this worth the time? Is this worth some of those sacrifices I have to make? Aren't bad questions to ask, um, to always go back and say, why am I doing this? You know, because it might, you might be able to find something really important there that not only keeps you going, but, but focuses the work even more. David, how about you? I mean, how have you dealt with this with your relationships? Oof. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I, I I understand and appreciate everything that we're, we're saying about you know fencing off our time, but there's also that that balance also when it comes yeah. to family life. Um, right. When I when I look back, I I do I do wish I'd spent less time in the basement writing and more time with my kids, um, you know, playing with my kids and things like that. Um, and and of course, you know, if we look at, at um, one of my early heroes and, and remains my hero is, is Raymond Carver, and he he also struggled uh, with with his relationships. I mean, you know, he had issues, of course, but um, uh, I remember as a young writer uh, reading one of his uh, essays in uh, his his essay collection, I think it was called Fires, and it was just, he was sitting in a laundromat and watching his laundry go around and just really feeling that that tug between his writing and his domestic responsibilities with his family and with his children and just how it was tearing him apart. And boy, I just really identified with that uh, when I read that. Um, I still, I still went down to the basement and wrote, but um, you know, so that, so there is a, there is, there is a delicate balance that you have to, that you have to um, walk on that tightrope, you know, between, yeah you know, what you want to do and what your responsibilities are too, along with, you know, even if, and, and for those who don't have, who aren't married and don't have kids, you still have those, those things that pull you away, those factors in life that pull you away, those relationships that pull you away from what you, from your writing and what your time for writing, but it's, it's a balance. It's a tough balance. How I wonder, do these relationships also feed your writing? Because I do think we oftentimes talk about it taking away, but how might you, so um, my husband is an engineer. He recently read something for him. I don't, I don't always give him some of my stuff, but I really wanted a layman's view of what I was doing. It was actually quite helpful. I'll talk over plot problems with him and he's used to just having to deal with that. He's very helpful. So involving him in that way. And I also have um, students and friends who um, their kids get kind of excited about their writing projects. And so they actually bounce off plot, you know, story structure ideas and plot things just to kind of, you know, open that up to the people in your lives, because some people, sometimes people get really excited about being belonging to that process. Alon, have you been able to do that? Like opening, using those relationships, not as working something against you, but something that feeds you. Absolutely. I think all of us know that you need 
One thing you need as a writer is people to read your stuff. And especially when it gets long, the people who are willing to make that commitment to read an entire novel and tell you the freaking truth about it are, you know, they're godsends. And that, and that's why most of them are family members and close friends and partners. Mm -hmm. My, you know, my, my partner, Diane is an exceptional proofreader on every level. And I wouldn't be able to do, you know, what I, what I do without her. Um, and, and and it's not just the, the you know the act of, of 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 proofing it's it's all those moments where where you you know we could just be having dinner and I might be describing what I wrote that day and feeling decent about it and then sure enough as soon as you're talking it out loud you're like oh lord that was so stupid of course I have to make this character do this instead of that there's no way she'd really say this and and some of it is also that thing you know just simple matters of you know, as, as a male handling female characters, having, you know, having, having, you know, just your partner right there to say, that's really not how it would go down. Be like, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Of course. So it's, you're, you're totally right, Michelle. It's, it's, it's invaluable. Uh, Juliet in the chat has quoted uh, Alice Monroe once said she loved her kids best when they were just a little bit sick so that <laughs> um, she could write and still be with them. <laughs> uh, but I also think, you know, being open and, and sharing these things with others in your life instead of holding it and being like, no, this is my artistic process. <laughs> um, it can, it, it, it takes a lot of trust, um, but, but it also can, can bind you to these people quite closely. Um, and those people that, especially your, your regular readers and that sort of thing, that's a very special relationship because they're seeing a part of you that most people don't see. And, and so that's invaluable. David, how have you found that, like, that your relationships actually feed your work? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, the 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 book I'm supposed to be working on right now is actually a memoir about my my marriage, my love story. Um, so obviously, my wife's going to be a very integral part of that. Um, I'm going to be. I've already shared some things with her, I, and and I need her. She's sort of my fact checker because <laughs> I, I sometimes I can't remember shit. So she will help me uh, remember and fill in the gaps. So, you know, especially when it comes to something like that, um, depending on your relationship with who you're writing about, of course. But um, so, yeah, that's she's she's a very integral part now. Yeah. And, and you can't always account on that with every relationship. But I think sometimes it can surprise you a little bit mm -hmm. um, to, to open that up and, and try it on people around you, because I have found overall that people kind of are excited and they like to take part in it. And, 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 you know, the people that have been when you're alive, they want to support you and they want to um, know what you're doing. Okay. We're going to have to go. I need to get all these folks back to their desks or in their basements or whatever, whatever they're doing. Um, you can find our full March writing challenge schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can subscribe there for updates and you can also join the chat and take part in replying to posts and, and any sort of feedback that you want to give us. Uh, you can find our podcast version of these webinars on your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review our podcast so that we can find other listeners. So you guys, are you going to be able to get some writing done today? Hell yes. Absolutely. Let's get going with this. Let's get going. Let's get going. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. It is Monday. I'm not sure what time it is, but it is time to write. <laughs>